Today and for the next two weeks, we're going to be taking a look at three passages from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, which is to say the members of the church in the ancient city of Philippi, which is located in northeastern Greece, about 10 miles inland from the center of the north shore of the Aegean Sea, and was named after King Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great in an area that goes by that name to this very day, Macedon or Macedonia. In fact, if you travel from Philippi in northeastern Greece uh, down to the south and parallel the coast, you'll end up running into places like Thessalonica. Then you'll come to Berea. Ultimately, you'll drop all the way down to Athens, and if you turn right and head west for maybe an hour and a half, you wind up in Corinth, which is to say there's just a ton of New Testament history in this country associated with the travels of St. Paul, the spread of the gospel, and the growth of the early church. In fact, uh, Philippi is where Paul preached his very first sermons on European soil. Uh, where he baptized a woman by the name of Lydia at a river where some of us worshipped and celebrated communion a couple of years ago, and where he even spent a night in jail before moving on. But you can read all about that in Acts chapter 16. Or you can check out a picture of a couple of people I happen to know who I found hanging out in the ancient city of Philippi. Well, with respect to Philippi, there are some things that I just want to review as context for all three of these passages, including the one that I want to talk about today. And the first is that Philippi was actually a Roman colony, which is to say that if you lived in Philippi, you could be a citizen of Rome. And so people in Philippi dressed as Romans dressed. They uh, spoke Latin and they brought other elements of the culture to that place where they lived. And that forms context for St. Paul's famous statement later on in the letter, which we know is chapter three, that our citizenship is in heaven so that we as followers of Jesus also live in this colony called earth for a time, even though we belong to a very different place in the bright mansions of heaven. And that would have made perfect sense to the Philippian Christians who resided in one place, but belonged to another place, who lived in Philippi, but were citizens of Rome. Second, Philippi happened to be located in a region where there were a number of gold mines, which made it a very wealthy place, very prosperous, luxurious, influential place. And therefore, it attracted uh, members of the Italian legions, military officers who would go to live there in their retirement, which also made it a place of political power and military power, in addition to great wealth. Third, the church in Philippi was primarily a Gentile church because there were very few Jewish Christians who came to know Jesus as the promised Messiah of Israel. These were people who came to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior apart from Judaism, which explains why Paul never quotes the Old Testament in his letter to the Philippians, because it would have been just irrelevant to them. And then finally, as I've said many times before, if the church in Corinth in southern Greece represented a splitting headache for St. Paul based on all of their corruptions and divisions. The church in Philippi in northeastern Greece would have represented his pride and joy 
and probably explains why he uses the word joy about 15 different times in the course of that letter, which you'll hear in the last passage that Pastor Nick's going to preach about in a couple of weeks from now. But of course, that doesn't mean that they didn't have some spiritual work to do in their relationship with Jesus and their, and their witness together as a church, kind of like, you know, a fire uh, is there, but it, it still needs poked and prodded from time to time in order to keep it going. And so Paul, in the first part of the letter, does write to the Philippians about how they were supposed to live as followers of Jesus in that kind of a community, in that kind of context. And in today's passage, and to some extent next week's passage, he zeroes in on one very specific issue, and that is the issue of humility, which would have been very relevant in a place of great political power, military power, great wealth, and great influence, all of which can go to your head. Last week, I found some research done by the Pew organization, which revealed that uh, basically in my lifetime, the percentage of Americans who are able to say, I trust in my government to do the right thing, has gone from 77% the year before I was born to 17% last year. It has fallen that far, that much, in my lifetime. Doesn't matter who was in power, what party was in power, the numbers have continued to fall. And the question is, why? Why is that happening? And there are a lot of answers, I'm sure, as you can imagine, but one of the predominant answers is that we have traded in principle for power. And as you know, we have just had another horrific week in our nation around the issues of power and influence and who's in and who's out and injustice and, and there has been uh, violence and corruption and uh, questions about the future, including uh, the protests that happen in our cities, the, the anxiety that we have about the upcoming presidential election, and so many other things, all of which are in addition to the, the tragedy of this current pandemic and the loss of more than 200,000 lives. We have traded in principle for power. And in case you think I'm beating up on the government, that has been true of other institutions as well. It's even been true of the church at various points in its life and history. And so when Paul calls on the Philippians in that place of military, political power and wealth, when he introduces the concept of humility, he says to the people of that great church, which is his pride and joy, if you are in the spirit, if you are in the love of Christ, which you are, then do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Now, notice that he didn't say ambition. He said selfish ambition. And those are two very different things. But in humility, he says, regard others as better than yourselves. Put the interests of others above your own interests. We have a saying in more modern times that goes like this. Humility isn't about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. 
As a matter of fact, uh, the word humility or humble comes from the Latin word humus, which actually means low or close to the ground, which is why we refer to humble people as being very down to earth. And then we say that people who aren't at all down to earth might be uppity. And then Paul gets to the issue of, you know, how you work on your humility, how you find humility and how you live as a humble person, which actually isn't in his mind about thinking less of yourself or even thinking of yourself less. It's about thinking of Jesus and looking at him and the life that he lived during his time in this colony called Earth and gazing at him. And that's what he's getting at in that next part of the passage where he says uh, that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, which isn't, you know, much more powerful or influential than you could possibly get, he did not uh, consider equality with God something to be exploited, but he humbled himself. He got down to earth. And he put on the form of what a slave or a servant, and he became obedient even to death, even death on a cross. And so the question is, you know, if you're a leader or if you have some worldly power, or you have, you know, influence over other people, does that mean that you are not humble? No. Just look at Jesus. Or if you have strong opinions about something, or if you, you know, need to disagree with someone about uh, something, or if uh, you refuse to go along with the crowd from time to time, does that mean you're not humble? And the answer is no. Jesus spoke some very hard words to people in a variety of circumstances in his ministry. And if you are a humble person, does it mean that if a person is humble, that they then have a, a degree of low self-esteem, as a lot of people seem to think? And the answer is no. Those are two very different things. In fact, I've, I've heard it said that the spiritual problem with low self-esteem is not that you think you're not worth very much, although that is a problem but spiritually speaking, it has to do with disagreement with what God who created you in his image thinks of you. And I say that not to bring you down, but to lift you up and elevate your self-esteem. Conversely, the problem with pride or arrogance, which are the opposites of humility, is not that you can't have ambition or that you can't be successful or that you can't influence people. It's when you fail to honor God for the role that he plays in all of those things because we can't do any of it without his strength and his wisdom. And so humility in the mind of Paul is about the one who got down to earth for us. It's about looking to him, following him, and living the life that he wants us to live. And the purpose of humility really is like two sides of one coin. One is that that humility as the children of God puts us close to God because Jesus came down to earth. This is where he finds us at the lowest level of our deepest need. What did Mary say in the Magnificat in Luke chapter 1? He scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts, in their conceit. And so the first purpose of humility is that that makes us close to Jesus. The second pur purpose of the other side of the coin is that it makes us close to each other. When we 
get down to earth and we come alongside of people in their burdens, in their weeping, in their hurts, in their cries for justice, in their sickness, in their vulnerability, in their living, and even in their dying. As a lot of people here at St. Andrew know, um, a little more than 11 years ago, my wife Patty underwent 13 and a half hours of surgery at Mercy Hospital in Baltimore for a recurrence of cancer, which is to say that operation started at about eight o'clock in the morning, and then it didn't end until like 10 o'clock or after that night. And praise God, uh, she came through it famously. She was uh, courageous and valiant and rock solid in her faith, and she's been a blessing to our family ever since. But that day was a long day, and, and during that day, my pastors came, and they they prayed with me, and my friend took me to uh, dinner, and my mother was with the kids, and, uh, and other people called in the course of time, and even the, the OR would call out every couple of hours to give me a progress report. But I remember how, you know, that morning the waiting room was just filled with anxious people. You couldn't even get a seat. And then by, you know, the middle of the afternoon, started kind of to thin out, and by about 7.30 in the evening, I was the only one left you know, with still hours to go. It was just me and the TV. And I remember uh, going up to the TV and there was a sign on the TV, do not change the channel. And I just, I just wanted to change the channel because I'd been watching the news all day. And I looked at that sign, I looked at the remote and I was getting ready to change the channel. And, uh, and then a guy comes around the corner with a buffer and he's buffing the floor. And so I sat back down and we talked a little while. And so I didn't change the channel. And, and now it's 10 o'clock, now it's 10.30, now it's 11, it's 11.30. And finally the door opens and one of Patty's surgeons comes out and he sits down, tells me everything went great and that I'd be able to see her in the, the recovery room. And then came the moment that I don't think I'll ever forget when he looked at me and he said to me, how are you doing? Because, you know, you've had a, a hard day. And I thought to myself, you know, here's this guy. He's been in surgery for 10 of those 13 and a half hours. And uh, he's got a wife and kids at home. He doesn't live close to the hospital. He got there at 8.30 in the morning, probably much earlier. And I, I know, you know, he's coming back tomorrow for rounds or office hours or I don't know what. And he wants to know how I'm doing. And I, I remember saying to him, well, I think you and my wife, you know, are the ones that had the tough day. And he said, oh, no, you had a tougher day than I did. And we talked for maybe five minutes later and until I thanked him, shook his hand, and, and he went on his way. But here it is, 11 years later, and I still remember that one moment where this brilliant, accomplished man who has everything in the world to brag about never said a word about his ability, his skill, his accomplishment. He wanted to know how I was doing because I had a bad day. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility regard others as better than yourself. Put the interests of others before your own. Which says to me that, you know, you can be a surgeon, you can be a teacher, you can be a principal, you can be a supervisor, you can mow lawns, you can paint houses, you can be a person who outranks others in your office or your lab or in the military, you can be a mayor, you can be a governor, you can be the president of the United States. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are living in a colony, in, an, in a vocation that you occupy only for a while for the purpose of glorifying the servant of all who came down to earth by being down to earth and being a steward and a servant to sisters and brothers throughout this human family and helping them to see that they are not alone and that they also ultimately can belong to God for all eternity. Now, I will tell you that I have failed at that. I have blown it a thousand times in my life. But what if we put on the mind of Christ and we worked on that? What would be different in the political tensions in the racial tensions, in social tensions, in families, in the life of the church. So let's do that. Let's put on the mind of Christ and uh, let's not think less of ourselves. Let's just think of ourselves less and think about what it means to live in this world of great influence and wealth and power and do it for the joy and the glory of God. In the name of the brother, the friend, who though he was in the form of God, and you can't get much more powerful or influential than that, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but humbled himself, came down to earth, took on the form of a servant, and was obedient even to the death on a cross, so that you and I can live in joyful obedience to him because that is the leader that you want to follow. And that's the first installment of Paul's letter to the Philippians in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.